Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders Podcast, where we chat all things leadership and personal development related, absolutely authentically and unscripted. On this podcast, my guests and I are going to introduce you to ideas and concepts that show how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage and motivate you on your journey to becoming a legendary leader yourself with more impact, influence and inspiration. So, are you ready for it? Welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. And welcome to today's show of Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm your host of this show. I think you will all agree with me when I say we have had quite a few months of turbulence, of change, of feeling out of control perhaps as well. When we suddenly wake up in the middle of a pandemic and nothing is like it used to be and we are literally thrown into a place where we've got to think a little bit more about, okay, What's going on here for me? What's going on for others? How do I perhaps want to live my life? That's the moment when we can really take charge and we can think about how we want to be, what we want to do going forward. And I've spoken to quite a lot of you out there who said, for me, it was a real relief. I didn't even realize that I needed a bit of time and slow down in order to check in and to say, okay, what is it I want to do going forward? What's really important to me? But there are also quite a few people who I've worked with in the last few months, let it be teams or individuals who said, I have no idea where I'm going. This feels far too stressful. I really struggle to cope. I feel very insecure. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel completely out of control. These are topics we are going to discuss in today's episode. I'm going to meet just such a wonderful woman. Her name is Jennifer Loudon. You might have heard the name beforehand because she's a really popular and famous author. She's a personal growth pioneer who helped launch the concept of self-care with her 1992 best-selling book, The Woman's Comfort Book. So she was really one of the first people to ever talk about self-care. And if you have followed me a little bit, you know me well, then you know how much I'm an ambassador of self-care. And she really tackles this topic a lot in this book and the following books that she had written. She has just launched a few months ago, actually, in the middle of a pandemic, which was very much a surprise for her as well, another book. And it's called Why Bother? Discover the Desire for What's Next. And at the interview that you will be listening to is going to be such an honest and open conversation about how Jennifer really dealt with this new situation we found ourselves in, how she really keeps motivating herself every day, or how she recognizes she doesn't feel motivated and she simply has to let go of beating herself up about it. So it's very, very, very open. And if you are someone who maybe uh, is just going through a challenging times, such as a heartbreak, career defeats, right? After a certain loss, Maybe you struggle with parenthood, whatever it really is. And you think, why bother? Why am I putting all of this energy into this part of my life, right? Should I really go on like this? Then this conversation is absolutely for you. So tune in and do let us know what you think about the episode. What did you like? What do you want to hear more about? 
what was missing for you perhaps as well. So don't forget the review button after listening to the show. I'm really looking forward to it. Speak to you in a second. So hello, Jennifer Loudon. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. How are you? I'm good. It's a beautiful, not too hot day here in Colorado. And we've had some time recently up high and outdoors in the wilderness. And that's always real restorative for me. Mm. Yeah. Ah, sounds beautiful. <laughs> um, is that one of your ways of looking after yourself, really living the self-care theme? I do. I am my happiest when I'm in the wilderness. It's true. It is true. And I'm lucky to be married to a man who's very good at going there and organizing it and um, really great. He's a map genius. And so I just can relax and go with him. It's really oh. great. It's amazing. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Oh, that was one of the reasons why we left the big smoke as well two years ago and just moved to the country to have mm. green space and hiking space around us and really disconnect, which helped hugely in particular in the last few months. I bet. I bet a good place to be in a pandemic, the country side. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and that leads us to my first question for you. I obviously want to talk about everything you're doing, about some of your books in particular as well. But, but first of all, from a very human perspective, how have the last months been for you, Jennifer? Difficult. We, had, uh, we launched a book mm. in the middle of a pandemic, and that was really difficult and then really great and then really difficult again. So it's what I find this time is really driving home in a, uh, it's just like uncanny, is that I have to walk my own talk. I have to believe and practice and remember what I write about and talk about. And let's be honest, it's much easier to tell other people how to do something <laughs> than to actually do it yourself. We also planned a year that was very lean for my company from a profit point of view. So mm -hmm. I'd have as much time as possible to promote the book. And most of those profit uh, centers, if we would call them, were live events, which have all been canceled. So it's been a real time of uncertainty. Yeah. So it's been difficult. And I also haven't seen my kids since December because mm -hmm. they live elsewhere. So yeah, it's been real up and down. But they, they are all safe and healthy. They are safe and healthy. My daughter works in pediatric mental health, and that's been really challenging because, as you can imagine, it's not a great time to have mental illness. But she's, she's hanging in there. She's a strong kid. And then our son graduated from college, and uh, he's out there trying to find a job, <laughs> which is also challenging. But he's, yeah, they're both real resilient. Fantastic to hear. But I'm very grateful for your openness as well to say, you know what, it has been challenging from a business perspective, from a personal perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm working, as you do, a lot with women uh, who say it has been an absolute roller coaster. And it is, the, it is, exactly. Yeah. And the last month really made me think. And coming to your latest book that you have published in April, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. End of April, yes. Uh, Why bother discover the desire for what's next? Actually, quite a few women came to me and say, why bother? Why am I hassling around all the time? How does that question actually resonate with you in the, or has resonated with you in the last month? How often have you asked yourself, why bother? 
Well, I mean, that's the, that was the irony of launching a book called Why Bother mm -hmm. when we had to cancel our entire meticulous plans that we had made for months and could not break through to get any kind of media attention. And it was easy to fall into that, what I call the grubby bummer side of why bother. Because the basic idea in the book is asking why bother in whatever way you ask it. It's too late. What's the point? Who cares? It's all been done, right? We all have different ways we language it at different times in our mm -hmm. lives. It's inevitable. It's natural. It's part of being human. But what we do when we get into those places because of the way our brains work is we don't actually ask the question. Mm -hmm. We just assume we know the answer. Well, there is no point. And then we just spiral down into resignation, resentment, and all those other not so healthy mindsets. <laughs> and so I, I watched myself do exactly that, right? We're canceling. I started following the pandemic in January and I started going, oh, this is not going to be good very early on. And, you know, I'm sure you've been watching this happen. People who keyed into it early felt insane. And I would say to my little tiny team, I think we're going to have to cancel everything. And they were like, no it's all going to be fine. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. And my husband's a scientist. So, you know, we tend to read the, the actual studies and such. So it was hard to look ahead like that and trust myself. And then it was hard to let it go. And that's the first thing that I write about in the book. You have to be willing to leave behind what was, mm -hmm. what you wanted, what you hoped for. And it's so hard to do. So I probably went through about two weeks of a lot of naps, a lot of toast, a lot of bitching. <laughs> and then I, I went, oh my God, I have to read my own book. I had to open my own book up. What do I have to leave behind to be here with what opportunities are here now and what desires are here now? And, and, and this is a continual process. I think when I first envisioned the book, I thought we, we, you kind of leave behind things a few big times in your life. You know, mm -hmm. I went through a divorce, my dad's death, my mom's illness, uh, she had Alzheimer's and, and subsequent death after many years. I mean, you think kind of like there's these big times in life and oh yes, I must leave that behind. But I think you have to do it almost every day now. The more that I sort of live into this work, how often do I have to live behind what I thought I would get done today or how I thought my writing would go or how I thought this conversation would go or a conversation with a client and come into what's here now and what do I desire to experience or build or create now? It sounds so much easier than it is. Oh my God, it's so, <laughs> you're so right. So easy to say, it's so hard to do, right? Yeah. I struggle with it so often. Yes, it's hysterical. And, and you know, really then it comes, it, it loops back into so many things. It loops back into self-care. We, talk, we were talking about mm. going up into the wilderness. If I'm not taking care of myself, and I'm not talking sexy self-care. I'm talking, did I take my vitamins? Did I drink enough water? Did I skip the sugar? Did I get some exercise? Yeah. Did I stay off social media and the news and my outrage quote for the day, right? Did I, did, I, did I let go of the people I judged running by on the bike trail who didn't have their masks on? <laughs> that kind of self-care is essential, especially right now, if we're going to actually get our bother on and figure out what is it that I care about now? What is possible now? Absolutely. That was my survival mechanism, really, to say once a day, I look at my uh, news app and I read the updates, once a day, yeah. but I am not going to get caught up all day long with the news, with social media, with fake news and not being able to let go and building all this negativity up, right? 
Yeah, I found I was very disciplined about that for much of the last years. And then with the pandemic, because I was tracking it so closely about canceling the book tour and then my retreats, which are, you know, a big source of our income that I then got caught again, you know, because it was like, well, I have to know, I have to know. And now I don't have to know. I really can check once a day, but it's hard to back it up because technology has been designed to hijack our brains and hijack our dopamine receptors. So I'm really having to little by little rebuild those habits with a lot of self-compassion and a lot of one step forward and three steps sideways, (laughs) keeping the phone out of the bedroom. (laughs) Yes. Far away. Super important. Yeah. And, and yet there are still so many people who say to me, I'm still running upstairs or to the other room where I have my phone to check it just before going to bed so that we literally get our brain work again. And it's hard. Like I don't, if you have kids that are far away or you have a sick parent or something, you're not going to want to turn off your phone or put it in the other room. But can you take all the news apps and the social media apps off your phone? Can you, you know, what ways can you make it harder to check Mm -hmm. so that you have that quarter second when your conscious brain can override that unconscious? Let me just get that hit. Let me just get that hit. Yeah. Small steps Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So you talked about letting go. And you gave some insights into how you or what helps you to let go self-compassion, self-care being really important, the small steps we just talked about. However, when you do that on a daily basis, it has got to, a lot to do with endings and being okay with endings. And what I noticed in myself in the past, but also what I'm hearing from clients of mine in the audience is that there's a lot of guilt associated with it. So I don't know. Do you have any tips you can share with us how you overcome this feeling of guilt and to say, it's okay for me to let go? Well, I think there's a few different ways to approach it. And one is to, I would say in a, in a one word, are you being humble? How powerful do you think you are? There's a pandemic going on and in the United States and in a lesser way in England and other countries, there's a great, 400 year old overdue racial reckoning going on. So you need to um, embrace how tiny and insignificant you are, not because it makes you go, why bother? But because it goes, okay, what can I actually influence? What can I do? So a flip side of that is I I use the term a lot in my work, human scale life. The self-help world, the tech world, the personal growth world can all be about be your best self, be your most efficient self, take a cold shower in the morning and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's all great. Like, I want you to be your most wonderful self, but it becomes a pressure that often translates to, I don't, I don't actually want to be human, but you are human and you need so much downtime, you need so much, whatever your needs are, you need so much sleep, you, you know, you actually don't have that many productive hours in the day, no matter how much you maximize your time with, you know, whatever. (laughs) I could go off on the tech bro stuff. So are you noticing that? Are you embracing that fact? Have you ever paid attention to how many productive hours you have in the day? How much are you trying to actually squeeze into that time? This sounds so basic, but 
I know in myself over and over again, no matter how many times I've taught people this, it is creep. It just creeps up. And I look at my to-do list in the morning and I go, how the hell do you think you're going to do that? Mm. Given what else you have to do, like get some exercise, talk to these clients, you know, not sit in this chair until your back gives out. (laughs) So yeah. So are you actually humbly embracing the truth of your human scale life? Have you ever measured how many hours you can actually produce, show up for your work, whatever it is? And are you trying to accommodate that and work within it? Are you always subtly denying that it's a fact? It really resonates with me, what you've just been saying. I actually (laughs) just got off a call with someone who said to me, beating yourself up terribly. I'm terrible when it comes to productivity. I don't spend enough productive hours in a day. I spend far too much time chilling out as well after a very, very demanding job. Mm And, and the question I asked was exactly that. What does, A, how do you define productivity? Beautiful. That's right. genius. So, so that, that was the first question. What does productivity mean? What do you do in the day? And, and she actually said, well, I go for a walk or I go exercising. I'm like, okay, is that productive? Yes, of course. I look after my health and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So literally had to break everything down that she does throughout the day until she realized actually I'm doing a lot of good stuff here that helps me be what you said before, be my better self, look after myself. Right. Create what I want, create the life and the experience and that I want. That's genius. And that's what we don't do. And it's because it's not our fault. We live in a culture that is selling us and nobody, there's no man behind the curtain doing it. It's just sort of this general, you know, more, more, faster, faster, better, better. Mm. We to break that trance over and over again. Now, if more is what you want, if you want to earn more money, if you want to, you know, find new love, if you want to write a book, great, fantastic. But what are you going to give up to create those things? And that's what we don't do. And that's where that story of more and more comes in. And, and then I want to say very practically, there's an idea in the book, Why Bother, that I've been teaching for many years. It's called Conditions of Enoughness. And it's a very simple, practical tool to really start to embed in yourself what is enough according to me, not according to the culture, not according to my boss, not according to my partner, not according to my kids, not according to the media, but enough according to me. And that's a really interesting practice to work with. Such an important question. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not a fixed question. It's a living question. Mm but it's not one that we've really learned to say, what will satisfy me? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you're not like, oh yes, but I want this editor to be satisfied and buy my book. Great. But if you don't decide first, you're, you're not going to know how to live in that humble truth of your human scale life. And that means you really got to take your time to think to reflect, to dive deep into your inner needs that we may have neglected for a very long time because of all the things you mentioned, we are running on this treadmill. I I like to compare it with that. We run and run and run and forget about the why behind it, why we do Mm -hmm. that actually. What's the bigger purpose? What gives us this desire as you mentioned it in your book title as well? Mm -hmm. Do we still have this inner burning fire for something? What is it? And and if we don't, to get curious because that's why we fall into the grubby bummer side of why bother we don't get curious we just decide 
that there's something wrong with us or there's something wrong with the job or their marriage or their culture. And we don't get curious and go, oh, this is such a human experience. Things mm. end. I lose my way. I get burned out. Now what? Now how do I get my bother on again? Let me be curious. Let me trust that there is always more for me. Mm. Now the more may look really different, especially after life-altering loss or a lot of people I know are getting laid off, especially in the U.S. So I'm not saying it's going to be the same. You know, my life is not the same in my second marriage than it isn't was in my first marriage. It's not yeah. the same when my parents were living as when they're now gone. There's things that I'll miss forever, but there's always more. And it can be as rich and alive if we allow ourselves to go through the process of that questioning and curiosity. Yeah. And curiosity is, is key. I think th this pandemic has been terrible and terrifying so far. And I don't want to say I'm a happy-go-lucky girl who just went through it so far. And we are not even near the end at the moment. Yeah. But at the same time, I think a big observation I have had was that it has given us an opportunity, if you took it, to slow down and to mm. do exactly that kind of reflection work, but also to sit with what feels really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I haven't always, similar to you, felt like, yay, this is great. <laughs> Certainly not. It was a massive roller coaster ride. And, and I think there's another one to come, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But it really helped slow down. And one of the big, big discoveries for me, I don't know how you felt about it, was that I actually enjoyed this slowing down. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always been very fast paced. I've always worked in fast-paced organizations and so on and so forth. And there had to be something else right away. Something was done, something else had to come. And now to simply say, no, this is nice. This is lovely, actually, to have a few hours more a day to look after myself, look after the people I love, and to be okay with that and feel enough with it, as you mentioned. That's been beautiful. And that's something I absolutely want to pass on to the audience also to say, enjoy and embrace this slow motion time whilst you have it. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people. And, and I've read some stories about it. some of the things that people are savoring are eating out less, cooking more, mm -hmm. more time for exercise and self-care, more time to be with the people they love. It does feel like the truth of the things that really give us meaning and pleasure to some degree. It's not that we don't want to be ambitious and achieve things. Those can give us meaning and pleasure too, but they've been balanced. I see it in one of my friends who's a very successful insurance agency owner and, and, you know, just so driven, works until eight or nine or 10 o'clock at night most nights. And things have changed so much because she can't meet in person with her clients. Mm. And so things have really slowed down and, and it's hard for her, but she also loves it. And it's been, it's a bit of an interesting mirror to see the sort of the culture in this friend of mine biking to work, not getting, she's always would get really dressed up for her client meetings, no heels, no, you know, fancy dresses and more time with their kids and more time at home. And she loves it, but she's wondering, will, when it get, goes back to normal air quotes, will she allow herself to keep doing this? Cause mm -hmm. she financially can, mm -hmm. but will she allow herself? And that, that, I think that's a question that we all can be considering. And then there, on the other hand of the economic, on the other side of the economic spectrum is the gal who does my hair. I finally got my hair done. We've opened up to that degree for now in Colorado. 
and I was really worried about her financially because he's a teacher, she's a hairdresser. Like, God, they're living really close to the bone. And she said, I, we discovered we can live on so much less. I'm going to have less clients. I'm going to work less. And I was blown away by that. You know? Yeah. But again, it comes back to being okay with letting go of this. Yes. It's okay to be enough working less. Right. And what do you really want to bother about and what really gets your bother on? And they have a young mm -hmm. baby and she found that's where she wants to be right now. More of the time, not all of the time. <laughs> Beautiful. So recognizing our choices and our options and giving them a fair shot. Yeah. And, and being in, like you said, the discomfort of them. And, and I think one of the biggest practices I'm always finding myself writing about, and definitely I think the whole book is about this, is how do we, how do we question, how do we have a meta, M-E-T-A, questioning of our automatic mindsets and assumptions? How do we step back on how our brain is always trying to keep us in this little tiny zone hmm. where it feels defended, where it feels like, yeah, no one's going to get me here. <laughs> how do we keep questioning that? How do you do it? Well, before we started recording, I laid on the floor hmm. in my little office here and hugged the dog and did a few little back twists and just closed my eyes. And I think for me, the essential starting place for that questioning is always to touch that stillness inside, that inner grace of stillness that we can lose touch with for years at a time, but it's mm -hmm. always there. It's this core, I think, of peace and well-being that is built into us. And so it's always to touch that. And I usually want to interrupt those stories with doing something with my body. I always say when I'm teaching that the body is the fastest way in. Mm -hmm. The mind doesn't like it, though. The mind wants you to stay. Uh, I call it assume the position here in front of my desk, right, and stay really locked in and trying to figure stuff out. But if I can remember to go lay on the porch, lay on the chaise lounge, go for a walk, go for a run, man, it's amazing. Like yesterday I went for a run and I forgot my music. I forgot my headphones. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, damn. You know, it's going to be really boring. <laughs> and then it was fabulous because I, I really worked out some stuff in my head instead yeah. of just zoning out to the music. So usually something with my body, something touching that stillness, and then some kind of interesting question, like, what do I really want? Mm -hmm. That's one of the ones I'm, I'm often returned to, or what am I assuming is the truth? Things like that. Yeah. Just really challenging ourselves gently more often, asking curious questions about our own thought patterns, beliefs. Yeah, and back, I always think of it as backing up, <laughs> right? We get way down in the weeds and mm. we, you know, and we just got to keep backing up and remembering to break the trance. Another yeah. way I do it is to say to myself, oh, honey, you're so adorable. Here you are thinking this, you know exactly how things are going to be. Oh, that's so adorable. So just a little sense of humor and self-compassion yeah. can also break that up for me a little bit. My grandma would have said that to me. Actually, would that you? made me smile in a nice way. We had a very, very lovely relationship. Oh, that's um, great. I have a bit of a deeper question for you. Mm -hmm. The last time we spoke, you were talking about um, your book, you were talking about the launch period very, very briefly. So the book, Why Bother? And you said it has been work in progress for many, many years. Mm -hmm. What has been your personal journey to start the book, Why Bother? And to really get it over the finish line? Well, 
I had a lot of success early on in when I was pretty young. My first book became a word of mouth bestseller. It was the Woman's Comfort Book in 1992. It was the first book to kind of generally talk about self-care and self-nurturing. Yeah. Outside of some political, like Audre Lorde was the first person to actually talk about self-care in, in writing, I believe, or outside of recovery. And so I had a lot of early success. I wrote a lot of books. I wrote a book every year or two for quite a while. And then I really reached a point where I rejected the personal growth world, but I only rejected it halfway. So I had one foot in it and one foot out and I kept trying to leave it. And I wanted to go back to my roots, which were storytelling, fiction writing, screenwriting. That's what I studied in school, but I could never quite do it. So I spent a number of years trying to get out and I couldn't. And I think the reason I couldn't was I do believe we sort of, we have callings in life. We have Dharma. And I think my dharma is to help people make more of what they want. And I hadn't completed that or embraced it. So it kept pulling me back. But I was damn certain I was not going to write another self-help book. So I tried all these other things. I tried fiction. I tried memoir. They all didn't work. Now, it's not that I couldn't write them. It's that I don't think I was committed enough, right? Because I still had one foot in this other world. And... So that was really, that was probably 11 years or more of trying different projects. I mean, 500 pages of a memoir that fell apart and didn't work. So it was really hard. But out of the ashes of all of that, I really got clear on I'm committed to this calling. And how can I, how can I fulfill it? How can I embrace it? How can I be committed to it? And that's eventually what led to this book. Fantastic. So it feels like the culmination of really all my work. This feels like the book I was always meant to write, which makes it extra hard to launch it in a pandemic. <laughs> it, it definitely is. <laughs> Murphy's Law. Seriously, yeah, it's such just an like important there's a, piece. There's a part of me that just laughs like, wow, that's some interesting karma. Hmm, all right. <laughs> but um, at this, yeah. the same time, the resourcefulness that you have had, that your team had to yeah. still launch it successfully to, you know, attend shows like these and talk yeah. about it in a different way. That's exactly what's needed to just dive into a different path. You have to, you have to. And feeling sorry for myself or taking it personally is not going to help. So that's that humbleness again. And then I have a really good friend uh, or a colleague, I should call him. I mean, we're friendly and, and care for each other, but we don't hang out. His name is Rick Hansen. And he, he, is a, he wrote Buddha's Brain. His new book is Neurodharma. And he gave me the most beautiful blurb for my book. He's a neuropsychologist. And he and I were talking about our new books on a Facebook Live. And he said, you have to make, you make the offering. You make the offering wholeheartedly. And that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. And I really keep reflecting on that. You know, I think we have to reflect on that. All of us are making offerings. We make an offering in a meeting. We make an offering with a course, with a book, whatever. With your podcast, you make an offer every single time you put this out. It's an offering. And yes, you want to get lots of downloads. Sure. But if you, yeah, of course. But we can't be, we can't, what we've been taught to do, at least I've been taught to do or taught myself, was to say, if I sell this many copies of my book, then my offering is valuable. And that's what we have to disconnect from over and over again. Nope, that's not. That's not the, that's not the guideline. That is what the culture says. Mm -hmm. But what does my heart say? Oh, I showed up. I worked as hard as I could. I wrote the most honest, helpful book I knew how to write. Mm -hmm. That leads me to one of the biggest questions I have for you. And since we spoke for the first time, that was my question. What is your big why? Mm. 
my deep, my biggest why is to be here for it all. Whatever's happening, to be here for it, to be here for that wind that we slept through up on the mountain on Sunday night, to be here for this conversation, to be here for my daughter when she comes to visit in a week, to be here for whatever I'm doing. And the way that I tend to be here in the world is to, is to be learning and then sharing that learning somehow. That's just part of how I'm wired. And so doing that as authentically as I can, like I was writing something earlier today, a friend of mine has been laid off after 23 years at mm-hmm. IBM. And she texted me yesterday and said, will you write something and put it on LinkedIn so I can share it with all my friends who have been yeah. laid off about how to bother. And like, I will do that. I want to do that. So I sat down today and wrote it before we talked. And I'm like, is this honest? Is this true? Is this helpful? Is this the best I can do? Okay. I think so far right now. That's all I know to do as a why. Beautiful. That's pure leadership. Oh, That's, I don't know. <laughs> if, if we can really generally ask ourselves, is this honest? Is it true? Is it helpful? And we really show by doing that that we care about others. Mm. and ourselves yeah and our values and yeah yeah so I think that is and I mean and then just keep disconnecting from the questions of is it good (laughs) (laughs) will people love it will it go viral (laughs) right because that's what my little noisy brain wants you know will it make me money will it sell copies of the book no that's great I mean you can be strategic but that's not what we're up to here that's not your deep why being strategic is not my deep why (laughs) no no it's a part of our business absolutely but uh, what what i really love about this conversation is we get back to this human element Mm -hmm. that's core of us obviously and to have those great conversations to show this care the real interest to say i'm really here for you Mm -hmm. you know um, and then it, it also, then it just also brings up a different kind of why bother because there's a, there's a, there's a sword like quality, a sharp quality to that question. Mm-hmm. And I think something we've all been experiencing during the pandemic, maybe not all, I shouldn't say all, but I have been experiencing is things I don't want to bother about people. I don't want to bother about way ecosystems, whether again, social media, et cetera, that I'm in that I don't want to be in anymore. Conversations I don't want to be in anymore. They're not nourishing or I don't really care about them. They've become routine habits that have become routine. So that's, you know, that's the flip side. We do have to be willing to cut off the things we don't want to bother about. And that can be really challenging. Yes. And that's strongly connected to Mm self-care. And you mentioned you were one of the first people really to focus on this topic deeply, which inspired me tremendously. I started blogging a little bit more about self-care and really diving into it maybe two, three years ago only, Mm -hmm. right? And I think it's such an important topic. And another author who you know very well, Brittany Brown, highlights that very much as well in terms of, in particular in organizations, what do we want to see quite often? Mm -hmm. Work hard, be stressed, put in a lot of hours. I'm going to send you emails in the late evenings and I want you to respond. But what's actually needed it's real self-care, setting boundaries, looking after yourself, listening to your body and to your mind and so on and so forth. So you were a real pioneer in that space. What are your top recommendations in particular for leaders to really practice self-care? You already know what your self-care is. You're just not doing it. So the question is not, 
that you need tips. You know what you need. You know what does it for you. The question is, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you allowing it? And can you design some experiments to test the fact that your emotional immune system, and I write about this in the book, and this is based on the work of Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy, uh, Laskow at Harvard, that your emotional immune system is telling you that something bad, something catastrophic is going to happen if you practice at least some forms of self-care that you need, whether that's Friday afternoons off or no email after 6 p.m. or whatever it is, you know. (laughs) I don't need to tell you. You know what it is. I know for me, it's how long do I sit here? How many hours do I try to work? Not having a clear beginning and end of my day, working on the weekends. So you know, but you have a belief that if you do certain things, that something catastrophically bad is going to happen. So that's what you have to investigate. That's what you have to start to question yeah. and get curious about. And there's that, that's where we fall off the wagon and do the exact opposite, what Keegan and Leahy call competing commitments. Right? And, and again... It's then important to give yourself the space and time to think about this question, to really and stop and refer. And to go into that discomfort. It's mm. it, that exercises that I adapted from their work in the book, they make you squirm. And who wants to squirm? It's much easier to be busy and important and mm-hmm. you know, running and checking your email at 10 p.m. and being like, look how much I'm needed. Mm. I love that feeling. <laughs> I sometimes say to myself when someone doesn't answer my email in a timely way, they're more important than I am. <laughs> oh, God. I, I remember a few years ago, my manager at the time called me into her office and she said to me, Kathy, you need a lot of acknowledgement. And I'm like, how, how dare you? <laughs> no. Can, 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 you give, can you give me some before I leave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> it was exactly what you, what you described. I am important. Yeah. I don't stop and work, you know, 14, 16 hours a day because yeah. Look how I'm so I needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really hard to let that stuff go. I'll never forget. I had a friend. When, my, in our, when we lived near Seattle and he had had a super successful high-end office furniture company and he sold it at a young age, like in his early 40s. And he's like, one day I went from being the center of the world to the next day, nobody called. And he wanted it and he sold it and it was what he wanted, but it was shocking. It was shocking for him. And we just, we get... It's hard to unwind this stuff, but we're, it's, it's universal. It's normal. And the more power we've had or the more success we've had or the more media attention, the more our little brains are going to want it. Mm-hmm. But at what cost? Mm-hmm. That's the question. And there's no right answer. You might be like, I'm young and I want to do this for a while and I want to see what it's like. Great. But don't be naive that there's not going to be a cost. Yeah. Absolutely. So think about that um, a little bit more. What is the cost? Mm-hmm. What's there and to reckon win? with it and listen when it comes from other people, like direct reports, your family. Mm. Mm, interesting. What am I not wanting to hear here? <laughs> the last topic I would like to dive into with you. You have, you've made, you have so many services and amazing transformational, I don't know, or transformations to offer. It's unbelievable. One of them are your retreats. And I'm so, so sad that they are obviously not going ahead at the moment. They can't. But 
I've read a lot of the reviews that you received on your retreats. And I was just amazed at a variety of transformation that the women went through, the enthusiasm, the authenticity behind it, and the calm and peace that you could just read in them. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions that really stuck with me was, what's she doing there with these ladies? What's happening? You know, I say to my husband, it is the weirdest thing that I have mastered over all these years. I've been doing this for, I think, 23 years. And I promise you, when I started leading retreats, I had no idea what I was doing. I did a terrible job. I mean, maybe not a terrible job, because actually, there's some people who were at those early retreats who still keep in touch with me. (laughs) But I was scared. And probably for the first 10 years of both my speaking workshop and retreat leading life, I was completely freaked out. But true to form, what I did was I started studying what worked and what didn't work. And I taught other people. I don't teach this anymore, but for about five years, I taught other what I call independent or alternative teachers, people like me who aren't in the regular teaching field, how to teach. And in doing that, I kind of figured out what works and what doesn't work. And I just kept strengthening it. And I think the key is that, I think there's two keys to leading successful transformative spaces. One is safety. Mm -hmm. And that means that it's not about you. When I was younger, I wanted everyone to think I was the cat's meow. I wanted everyone at the end of that day or week or whatever it was to go, the best thing about this experience was Jen. And now I know it's successful when we go around the closing circle and maybe two people mention me and everybody else mentions the connections with each other. And the second thing is love. Can I inhabit a space of love for everyone who's there, no matter how sometimes difficult they are, (laughs) and really help them feel that unconditional love. And and I can do that. I can't always do it in my marriage. I can't always do it with my kids, but I can do it with clients and students. So I think those are the two things. And then I've built over, I've sort of accreted processes and built them on top of each other that all fit together, that work really well. Absolutely beautiful. So it made me very, very curious about your retreats. Can't Mm -hmm. wait for them to go ahead again. Um, We hope we'll have one in September. We'll see. It's planned. Yes, fingers crossed. Everyone's like, are we going to do it? I'm like, one week at a time. (laughs) If it goes ahead, where is it going to be? It's in North Carolina up in the Mm -hmm. mountains. So it's in nature on a property with a lot of outdoor space. So I think we can do it more safely. Mm -hmm. It's a big dining room. It's a resort. So I think there we could do it with a lot of social distancing and and time outside. And but it will depend on the numbers, of course, of people. Beautiful. That is something that's applicable in every part of our lives. So I'm focusing highly on leadership. So when you are a leader in an organization or you're running your business with your family, I know it's not always easy, but this is what you can do. Build safe spaces, build an environment of love and care, show real curiosity and interest in your people and don't make it about yourself. It's mm-hmm. about the connection they build, how people come together, how they can support each other. So that's, that's our role as leaders to do that. It, it's true. And I really want to presence the fact it is much harder to do when you work with the same people day in and day out. When I create a retreat, now about 30 to 50% of people are returned, but I haven't seen them for a year or five years. So it's so much easier for me to love them for a week than if I have to sit in the same meeting with them every week. (laughs) True. (laughs) Right? So I just don't want to like set anybody up there to think that I'm some kind of saint. I'm not. I can be 
very, very petty, especially when people run by me without their damn masks. <laughs> I get that though. I absolutely get that. Or stand behind you in the supermarket, bump into you a few times, sneeze close to you, all the shebang. Yes. It's been wonderful talking to you, hearing all your tips and tricks. I think we could talk literally forever and hear more about your wise words and your knowledge and insights. But what I want the audience to know is where can people find more information about you, about your book as well? JenniferLoudon.com. And if you sign up, we send you the first chapter for free. And then if you buy the book, it's jenniferloudon.com forward slash why hyphen bother. And then we have all kinds of gifts for you. Mm. If you buy the book and send us your receipts with videos that kind of help jumpstart the process and a free ebook of other people's, what other women's why bother stories and some other groovy thing that I forgot about. <laughs> <laughs> there's a but, lot. <laughs> yes, there's a lot just to help support you. So there's those two ways you can test the book out. Or you, if you've already bought the book in any form, you, we'll give you some, some goodies. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for being an amazing guest on this show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Total pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Lovely. And I'm pretty sure to the audience, you have taken a lot from this episode as well. So don't forget to leave your reviews with us. Let us know what resonated in particular with you, but also what are your challenges? What would you like to hear more about? That would be fabulous to know. So looking forward to speaking to you again next week. Tune in. Don't forget about it. And I hope you're going to stay very well and safe until then. Take good care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Legendary Leaders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show, either on iTunes, Spotify, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com, so that you can hear more about our next episodes. I would also love to hear from you. To discover what topics you'd like to listen to on this podcast, please head over to kathleenmerkel.com forward slash podcast and let me know. You can also find me on Facebook in the Legendary Leaders Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to connecting with you again on our next episode of the Legendary Leaders Podcast. Take care. Bye.